Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. So this morning, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10, we'll be there in a second. That's the passage, the section of scripture we've been looking at lately. While you're looking that up, I want to just tell you a quick little story. So back in high school, I uh, joined a um, bicycle club called the Spokesman. You get it? Some of you got it. That's nice, Linda. Good. Some of the others are like, I don't get it. You know, bicycle spokes. Anyway, okay. So joined this club called the Spokesman. And uh, if you know me, you know I was never really much of an athlete. So I never really played organized sports at all. Um, so, but one thing I did do was ride my bicycle, and I thought, man, this is something I could do. I can join the bicycle club. So I signed up for the bicycle club, and every spring we did a, um, we did a cross-country ride around eastern Pennsylvania, about a 400-mile or so ride total, and we would go to different churches and different Christian schools and share our testimonies and stuff like that, and it was a lot of fun. But I learned three really, really important lessons about life and church and so forth as a result of being a part of that club. One of the things I learned is this, I'm not as good as I thought I was. So I joined up the club thinking I was a good bicycle rider to discover actually I was one of the weakest ones in the club. Man, some of those guys like lightning. It's amazing. They could just go forever. And you know, that's an important lesson for life, isn't it? Because as long as I'm isolated, as long as it's just me and Jesus against the world, I can really think that I'm doing pretty well. And matter of fact, I can even go so far as to think that the problem is not with me. The problem is with everybody else. But it's when I get into community, that's when I begin to discover I've got some room to grow here. I guess I'm actually not as far along as I thought I was. There are some things about me that need to change. That's the first lesson I learned from riding my bicycle. Second lesson I learned from riding my bicycle was we all get there together. We're going to arrive together. Some of us were stronger riders, and so like we would face, you know, when we went up a long hill, obviously they would finish the hill first, and instead of continuing on and just widening the gap between them and the rest of us, us, me included, they would actually wait at the top of the hill for the rest of us to catch up because it's not a race. We weren't competing against each other. We were riding together. And the goal was not who's going to get there first. The goal was we show up together at the places we were going to. And that's another great metaphor for the church because it really is not about you being further along or more mature or you being deeper in your walk with God than me. I mean, it's really, we're going to get there together, friends. We're, we're going to the same destination. And that's a great lesson for those. If you think that you're further along, maybe you are. Congratulations. Then we're, the rest of us are saying, hey, help us out a little. We could use your strength. We could use your encouragement because we want to get there too. 
So that's the second life lesson I learned from riding that bicycle. The third one I learned was the value of positive peer pressure. Because there was no way that I was going to be that guy that held everybody up because he's whining and complaining about how much it hurts and how hot I am and how thirsty I am and oh, my thighs are burning and I was not gonna be that guy. They were all further ahead. And man, there's something in that that pushed me. Something in that that kept me in my seat, kept me pedaling, because I wanted to be with those guys. And you know the end result was it actually made me a stronger rider. Huh, who knew? And I think there's a lot of benefit to, to being a part of a Christian community like this for that very reason. There's positive peer pressure. You get around people that they have things in Christ that you don't have. They have experienced stuff you've not experienced. There's a depth, there's an intimacy in their connection with God that you don't have. And there's something about it that you want. And you're like, man, I want to figure that out. There's something that motivates and pushes us towards that. You know, there are three things that we really all need in order to grow in our friendship with Jesus. We need God's word. You're not, it's not going to happen without the Bible. Because God's word is what reveals his heart. It's how we get to know God. How we understand what makes him tick. How we understand what he's thinking about. His word. So his word is absolutely critical. The second thing we need is God's spirit. God's spirit helps us to understand God's word. Why? Because God's spirit actually wrote God's word. It's why every Sunday morning before we give the message, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it. Because he, it's his job to do that. And so we need God's spirit to help us understand God's word. But then I also need God's people. Because God's people Give me the place to apply God's word. God's people show me how to apply God's word. So we need God's word. We need God's spirit. We need God's people if we're going to grow deeper and mature in our relationship with Jesus. Do you see that? None of this happens in a vacuum. Christianity is a team sport. It's why I love what we're going to do next Sunday. Covenant Sunday, I think, is one of the most significant things that we do as a church all year long. Because, for one, I believe Jesus loves it. Jesus loves it when his people actually make a commitment to come together. Like, he just, he digs that. And he, he loves seeing you and me saying, okay, we're going to stick together. But I think also it benefits you. I get excited for what it does for you and for me. Because as individuals, something happens when we commit. That's, that is how you begin to, that is key to your growth, making a commitment. You and I are like potted plants. If you take a plant and you keep moving it around, transferring it from pot to pot, it's not going to grow, is it? That plant has to stay potted in order to really thrive and to grow and to bear fruit. And you and I are the same way. And next Sunday, we're making that commitment saying, you know what? I'm going to plant here this year. Commit to this, that I can grow in Christ and that I can help these people grow as well. And our covenant is tough. Have you taken a look at it? There are some things in that covenant that might bug you. Like, have you noticed the tithing thing? I don't know if you picked up on that or not. 
If you haven't, you need to read the covenant. I would encourage you, please do it before next Sunday. You got a problem with tithing? Good. Good. Let's work on that this year. Let's make 2020 the year you settle that issue with God. Your problem with tithing is not a problem with New River Church. That's between you and the Lord. Let us help you settle it. How about, how about baptism? Got a problem with baptism? That's in our covenant. You know, over the years, we've had people question that. I've actually had people go so far as to ask us to remove it from the covenant. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. So you got a problem with baptism? Good. Let's talk about it. Let's dig it. You know what I mean? Like the worst thing ever is to have an issue with something and then never try to settle it. That's craziness. So if you got an issue with it, perfect. Let's settle it. Let this year be the year that we dig in, that we work, we wrestle with it, we work with it. How about that? Got a problem with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Because if you notice, our covenant actually starts with that line. That is the very first couple of words of our covenant, having accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Got a problem with Jesus being the only way, the only truth, the only life? Got a problem with that? Great. Let's talk about it. Can I tell you something? You don't have to be a Christian to be a part of New River Church. I mean, we want you to know Jesus as your Savior, but we recognize that all of us are different spots along the journey. I, I like this. This is not my statement. I heard another church use it. You don't have to believe to belong. Just keep coming back. Let's, let's, let's just keep growing together. And if you got an issue with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, great, let's talk about it. Because, you know, that's a huge one. Actually, that would be the biggest one of all. Because Jesus said it this way, friends. He said, Jesus said it, not, not, not me. Jesus said it. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. So that means we've got to deal with Jesus. He really is a force to be reckoned with. If Jesus was lying, okay, that statement means nothing. Fine. But if Jesus was telling the truth, that statement means everything. And that's why Jesus has to be reckoned with. So if you, got a, if you got a problem with that, great. Let's talk about it. Let's wrestle through with it. You know, I hope that you understand New River Church is the kind of church where, where you're, you're allowed to ask questions because we recognize that's part of the growing process. Right, friends? So I'm excited for next Sunday morning for our Covenant Sunday. And in preparation for that, we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 10. We've been looking at these, this whole section from Hebrews chapter 10. And, and we've, been, um, we've been looking at these four statements that are in this chapter. And they all start with these two little words, let us. And so two weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God. Remember that? Such a good word. Last Sunday morning, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Wasn't that a good one last Sunday? Oh, man, the Lord had such a good thing for us last week. And now this morning, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. You guys ready? Let's read this out loud together like we mean it. 8.30, it's only like 20 of us, but we can still fill the room. Let's read it loud. Ready? Let us... 
consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's do that again. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. That's a great verse right there. Let's see, what are we supposed to spur one another on towards? Love and good deeds. It's not a trick question, it's right there. What are love and good deeds? Let's understand that for a second because you might read that and be tempted to think that, you know, it's just like being a more loving person. I just want to be more kind. Like, that's not what that's saying. Let's just break that down. Towards love. First of all, the word love used here is the word for God's love, agape. Not any other kind of love. How many of you know God's love is completely higher, more difficult, totally other than anything else you see on planet Earth? You recognize that? This is the kind of love, friends, that you and I are being called towards. You hear that? God's kind of love is the kind of love that lays its life down for his enemies. That's God's kind of love. God's kind of love is like, I'm going to love you even if you hate me. That's God's love. You got love like that? Because I can tell you, I'm struggling with love like that. There's people that I don't really want to love. You don't judge me. You feel the same way, right? And that's the kind of love that we're called towards. That's the kind of love that we're actually supposed to be spurring one another on towards. Hey, don't love with your love. Love with God's love. Oh, I don't want to do that. Yes, you got to do that. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Good deeds. That's more than just being a Boy Scout. That's not helping old ladies across the street, although that's a nice deed. What it is is it literally is translated as honorable, honorable character, honorable character. In other words, this good deeds has more to do with the heart that motivates the good deeds than the actual good deed themselves. And we're, mo we're calling one another towards love and good deeds. If you put those two things together, you're really talking about the person of Jesus Christ. It's the character, it's who Jesus is. You and I are spurring one another on towards being more like Jesus. Can I tell you, God has a wonderful, perfect plan for your life. And it's expressed very clearly in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where it says there that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. When the Bible tells us that God predestined you to be like Jesus, that means that God is definitely going to make it happen. That's what that means. God already decided it. Like, that is what he's moving you towards. Now, you might be kicking and screaming in the process, resisting him every step of the way, but I can assure you that's where God's taking you. Jesus is the quintessential human being. When you say, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Because you probably hear church people talk about that all the time. What's that mean? Does it mean I got to wear a robe and put on like these hippie sandals and go down to Hartford with a beard and like, you know, bless everybody? Like, be like Jesus? No, maybe, but not necessarily. When, when we talk about being like Jesus, we're talking about following his example. Okay, Jesus is the gold standard for what it is to be human. Jesus. So if you want to understand what it is to be the human that you were created to be, take a look at Jesus. Not just at 
like his robe and his sandals. I, I mean, take a look at his character. Take a look at how he dealt with people. Take a look at what he said. Take a look at his beliefs. Take a look at his attitudes. Get to know what he felt about things, what he's compassionate for, what gets him angry. That, my friend, is what it means to be human. Jesus is the perfect gold standard for what it is to be human. So when the Bible says that you are to be just like Jesus, it's simply this, that you, my friend, and me, God is wanting us to be everything he created us to be. But the Bible's pretty clear in Romans chapter three that all of us have fallen short of God's glory. See, God like created us for this up here and all of us went bloop. Every human being's a blooper. Every one of us is. I'm not saying that to put you down. That's all of us. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us really is living to our fullest potential as a human being. Jesus did. So when the Bible says you're to be made just like Jesus, that's where God's taking you. God's taking you to be everything that you were created to be as a human being. Would you like to be fully human? I would. I'd like to be fully everything God designed me to be. So this, my friend, is what we are spurring one another on towards, love and good deeds. You see that? Now, we're supposed to spur. Oh, that's a, that's a tough word. Because the word spur, it means irritant. Literally, to irritate, to agitate. That's what the word means. Now, I've known a few irritating people over the years, but I'm pretty sure they weren't trying to live out this verse. They're just irritating. You got any irritating people in your life? And, you know, and I used to really be irritated by them until I realized about five, six years ago how irritating I am to some people. And I thought, oh, I guess we're kind of all irritating to some people at some level, aren't we? That's a real eye-opener when you realize that you're also irritating. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying, wake up every morning and this is your prayer. Dear Lord, just help me to be irritating today with all my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers. I just really wanna irritate them, Lord. No, that's not the prayer. The prayer is, Lord, how do you wanna use me to help motivate others to be all that you created them to be in Christ? How do you wanna use me, God, to motivate others to become everything that Jesus designed them to be? That's the prayer. And then you notice this word consider? It says consider, let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The word consider, it means to give thought to. It means be intentional. This is not just an accidental thing. In other words, you literally do wake up every morning. God is literally saying, yes, you, you, me, all of us. One of the things we're supposed to be thinking about, working on, making plans for, is how do you want to use me, God, to help other people become more like Christ? Like literally, how? Is that an encouraging word? Maybe it's just me making eye contact with somebody. Maybe it's praying for somebody, whatever. But how, God, 
Do you want to use me to move somebody else closer to that goal? That is literally what this verse is telling us. And that's your responsibility and my responsibility. Look, at, I don't know why uh, you started coming to New River Church. I don't know why you're part. There's a lot of different reasons probably. But I know this, that whatever the reason is that you started coming here for, chances are good it's going to change eventually. Because that's the way ministry works. It cycles. And so, like, if you came here because our, our children's ministry is so awesome, and, yeah, and Tori and her team are really crushing it right now. They're doing great. What are you going to do when it's not as awesome? Because I can tell you that day is going to come. And that's no put down on Tori. You, you understand, I'm not, I'm not at all. Tori's all, I'm just saying ministry cycles. Youth ministry, right now, our, our youth ministry on Thursday nights, 40, 50, 60 kids on a Thursday night. Like, they're really killing it. But you know what? It's not always going to be that way. What are you going to do? If you start coming because our youth ministry is really awesome, and then what are you going to do when it's not so awesome? Because I can guarantee you there's going to come a time when it's not. It's going to cycle. If you come to New River because our worship team is so incredible, man, so talented, those guys, amazing. Yeah, well, what are you going to do again when it's not so awesome? Can I tell you? They're not going to crush it every Sunday. What are you going to do? Is, you, is that going to be the Sunday you leave? Because uh, I'm just not feeling it anymore. You know, they're just not, the spirit's not there anymore. You sure? I'm pretty sure the spirit's still here. It's just we don't crush it every week like you might expect us to. You with me? See what I mean? What I'm saying is ministry cycles. It has ebbs and it flows. And if the reason why I'm a part of a church is because of what it can do for me, because there's some good feeling I'm getting out of something, I can promise you that's going to change. However, if the reason why you're here is because of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, that you wake up every morning and you say, I'm here to spur others on towards love and good deeds, now that's something that'll never change because people always need to be more like Jesus. And so there's always more work to do. And that's your responsibility, and that's my responsibility. We're all called to push each other to maturity in Christ. I want to just give you a challenge. The challenge is this. You're part of a life group? Awesome. Every time you go show up at life group, every time you come on a Sunday morning, would you please start coming with this question in mind, with this prayer? God, I'm about to show up at life group, about to show up at church. How do you want to use me to encourage somebody else to be more like Jesus today? Make that your prayer every single time you show up. I mean it, every single time. Can you imagine the difference that would make? If every single one of us actually came here not thinking about how this is going to make me feel, and instead I came here, every single one of us came here with the idea that we're going to actually build each other up in the hour, hour and a half that we have together this morning. I'm going to look for somebody that needs encouragement, prayer, a helpful word, somebody that's going to need a, you know, comfort, somebody. I'm going to look for something to do to spur somebody on towards love and good deeds. Wouldn't that be awesome? You say, why do we got to spur each other on? Why? Because you know what? Are you going to get it anyplace else? Look around. Look around our culture. 
Is there any place else that's going to encourage you to be more like Jesus? I don't think so. Literally, this is the only group of people on the planet who's going to encourage you to be more like Jesus is the church of Jesus. I mean, not just us, other Christians as well. You understand what I'm saying. You're not going to get it elsewhere. Why do we spur one another on towards love and good deeds? Because our natural tendency is to take the easy path. If left to my own devices, I'm just going to float. And so God says, nope, I'm going to actually put you in community with other like-minded people, and you guys are going to push each other. And you're going to be like that bicycle team. And you're going to just keep riding, and there's going to be days you want to give up, but you're not going to want to because... You see Harless, he's not giving up, so I'm not going to get He ain't giving up, I ain't giving up. Okay, we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep encouraging and challenging one another to move forward to progress in our maturity with Jesus. Does that make sense? You see that? That's how that works. I love what Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says. Hebrews chapter 3, the writer there says, Let, the writer says, encourage one another. Actually, I think that, that actually is there, Carson. I don't, no, I don't have this totally memorized. Let's see. Uh, let us encourage, encourage one another daily, it says, as long as it's called today, so that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. One another daily. I love that. You know, a um, little backstory. Hebrews. You know the name Hebrew, this is, this is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Our main text is Hebrews chapter 10, so we're looking at this book, Hebrews. But you know, Hebrew is also another word for Jewish people. They're called the Hebrews, you know that. But you know, the word Hebrew actually has a history to it, and it's not a good one. Do you know that the word Hebrew actually was initially a nickname, and it was derogatory, it wasn't a good name, that Abraham was the first one to be called a Hebrew. And what happened was Abraham moved from Ur, where he was, and he moved into the land of Canaan because God told him to move. And so Abraham took a step of faith and moved into the land of Canaan. He was a stranger in a foreign land. So what did the Canaanites call Abraham? They called him the Hebrew. And Hebrew literally means, in the, in the Hebrew language, it literally means from the other side of the river, other side of the river. You and I might say, he's from the other side of the tracks, kind of the bad side of town. It, it, what, it, what it really means is you're an outsider. You don't fit in here. Hey, Abe, you're the Hebrew. They always reminded him of that. Can you imagine living in a place where you're always reminded, you don't belong. You're the Hebrew. I think it's fascinating that now the letter to the Hebrews is written to these people who felt like outsiders, to these people who were actually being tempted to compromise their faith because they were experiencing pressure, because they were like, ah, it might be easier just to blend in. Maybe we wouldn't get in trouble as much if we just kind of blend in with the rest of society. That was what they were being tempted by. I think it's ironic that they're being tempted to blend in and their name is Hebrew, which means you don't blend in. You and I, my friend, are Hebrews. You're not supposed to blend in. That's the idea. And so where are you going to get the encouragement that you need to hang tough 
if you don't get it from us. You're not going to get it from anybody else. That's the point. That's what Christian community is so valuable for. I love how Paul started the book to the Romans, his letter to the Roman Christians. The apostle Paul told them this. He says, I can't wait to see you guys. This is Romans chapter 1. Carson, there's another verse there. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I can't wait to see you guys because, uh, because I long to impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that you and I might be, look at that, what's that word? Mutually encouraged by one another's faith. This is the Apostle Paul. Man, like he's one of the biggest names in Christendom. And yet he's saying to the Roman Christians, I can't wait to hang out with you guys. Because I know that when I do, we're like going to be mutually encouraged and it's just going to be a good time. You encourage me, I'm going to encourage you. It's going to be great. That, my friend, is what the body of Christ really is all about here. We're encouraging each other towards love and good deeds. How do we do that? How do I spur? How do we spur one another on? Four quick things. Quick. The first one is by observation. Obser and I, I made them all rhyme just so that we could remember them better. But observation. In other words, we just watch each other. There's something that happens when we just watch each other, isn't it? Like I actually learn, I learn how to be a better husband by seeing good husbands. And I learn how to manage my finances because I, I know people who manage their finances well and I kind of learn from watching how they do it. I, I, I learn how to, I actually learn how to read the Bible, understand the Bible, because I observe how you do. You, you help me to understand the Bible better, because I watch it. The, the other one is we learn by conversation. We literally just talk. We share. The course of conversation is how we learn from each other. A little, a quick story on this. Many years ago when our younger, when our kids were wee little, Caston and Carissa our two youngest kids are basically like, they're not, they're not technically Irish twins, but they're pretty close. So they're only 14 months apart. And so as a result, the two of them were inseparable. I mean, they were, they were tight when they were little. They were so cute. But they were, when they were getting along, it was beautiful. And when they weren't getting along, it was ugly. Anybody got kids like that? Yeah. Our kids did that, yeah. When, when they were getting along, it was awesome. And then uh, they had some epic battles. And I remember one night after, you, after our life group meeting, Cindy Boyington was a part of our life group. Miss Cindy, our kids still call her, you know, Miss Cindy. And so Cindy was a part of our life group back then. And I know Karis was talking to Cindy after life group about this. They must have had a bad fight that day. <laughs> and you go, the pastor's kids had a bad, yeah, our, yeah, the pastor's kids had bad fights every once in a while. And so Karis is talking to Cindy about this fight. And Cindy made the suggestion. She said, why don't you have them sit on the steps and hold hands until they work it out? They've got to learn how to work it out. And that was her advice. So Karis tried it. And you know it worked? They had, the next time they had a fight, they're sitting on the steps. We made them hold hands. And at first, he was over there. And she's, they're as far apart, barely touching hands. And then after five minutes, you know how kids are. They're giggling, they're, loot, they're laughing, and the fight's all over, and they move on, and everything's great. I'm like, that worked. We learned that little parenting tip from conversation. That's how that works. We learn from each other the same way. All kinds of things we pick up. How about confrontation? Sometimes that does have to happen. 
Sometimes we do have to tell each other what stinks. Sometimes we do have to tell each other, cut it out, stop it. It's one of the things I really love about our men and our men's ministry and how our men relate to one another. I, if, you, if, some, if you don't know what to expect, you might be put off by it sometimes. If you expect these guys to be kind of like, you know, stuffy church guys, you're going to be in for a rude awakening when you realize these guys can really get in one another's faces. But you know what? They, they love each other. They die for each other. It's amazing. The, the amount of truth-telling, the confrontation that happens, and you see the fruit, men's lives are changing right in front of us every single day. I make no bones about it. If somebody's an alcoholic, if you're a drug addict, if you're a porn addict or something like that, and you need help with something, get in a men's ministry. Those boys will kick you right into shape. You're going to love it. It'll be great. Confrontation is necessary at times. I mean, we don't live there all the time. You understand. But it is necessary. It's a necessary part of our growth. And then the last piece is elevation. And that's just because it rhymes with the other Asians. But elevation, encouragement. We need encouragement. Man, we live in a world that's not very encouraging. I need people not just to tell me where I'm going wrong, but I need people to tell me how I'm doing it right. Amen? You want anybody telling you how you're doing it right? You do. We want people telling us, hey, you're doing a good job here. Hey, you really crushed that. That's awesome. Keep going there. You want that. We need that encouragement, friends, daily. This is how we spur one another on. And here's the deal. You notice a key piece of this? You have to be in close proximity in order for all four of these to work. They require community. They require that we're together. That's what they require. Observation, conversation, confrontation, elevation requires that we're actually together. So I want to just encourage you with something this morning as we close. Um, I can't say it strongly enough. I want you to be a part of a life group. I'm just going to put it out there. Because there's something really powerful that happens. You see this setting? Do you see this? Okay, I'm doing all the talking. Right? And that's kind of how this setting works. But you understand that this can only take us so deep. That there's something that happens when you get in a circle with other people. And you start talking. And you talk. And they talk. And you learn from each other. My friend, there's something that's powerful there. And I want to encourage you, exhort you to get into a life group this year, to make that a part. You go, oh, it's so hard. We have all these challenges and scheduling and da-da-da-da-da. Can I just tell you a, cute, a quick little story? One, our, one of our guys, Chris Olson, Chris and Carrie Olson, wonderful couple. And they're actually going to be starting a life group this Wednesday, starting one, brand new. And their issue is they don't have a place to host it. Um, they're all set to lead, but they don't know where to hold the meeting. It's actually quite an issue because you need hosts and you need leaders. We need somebody with a house big enough or able enough to, house, you know, to bring a small group of people in, and then you need somebody to lead it. And not everybody has a house you know, that's suitable for a small group. That's fine. So maybe you can't lead one, but you can host it. That'd be awesome. Chris and Carrie can lead. They're looking for a place to host. But can I tell you what Chris did? I was so inspired by this. So Chris works for FedEx. 
And oftentimes in his work, he doesn't get out of work until like 7.30, 8 o'clock sometimes, which of course that's kind of late for a life group to start. And so he actually talked to his boss. And he got Wednesday nights, he moved his schedule so he starts earlier, gets out earlier on Wednesdays so that he can be available for a life group. Isn't that cool? I love that. That's a guy that recognizes the value of community, the value of spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Went so far as to actually rearrange his schedule in order to make it happen. I guess what I'm saying is you might need to rearrange a few things, but it's worth the effort to be a part of a life group. And I'll just say this. I know some of you signed the sheet a couple of weeks ago. We've been doing this. But, you know, um, we actually have been having somewhat of a problem um, putting all these together because we do have a shortage actually of hosts and even leaders. And so I just uh, want to encourage you, if, if you can host one, let me know because I'd love to give you a leader. We have a couple of leaders that just need a place to meet. And uh, I think it'll be a big blessing for you and for your family to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Friends, I'm so hopeful for 2020 because when we commit next week and we say, we're in this for this year, oh, I can't wait to see what God does for you and for me this year. It's going to be awesome, don't you think? So I want to close with a story. Can you give me some music? Here, here's my good story about tandem bikes, huh? What kind of vibe? I don't know what kind of vibe we need. I need something like tears, you know, something, something, something moody. <laughs> oh boy we're Christians we do tears we do tears all good no I just love music in the background but here's a, here's my story before we my corny story before we sing so you know what a tandem bicycle is while we're talking about bicycles today a tandem bicycle is a two-seater bicycle two people ride it and you know people don't ride tandem bicycles because they help you go faster you actually can't go faster on a tandem bike. And they don't ride them because they can go farther or because they're easier. In fact, a tandem bicycle is mechanically more difficult with two people on it, technically. So why do people ride a tandem bicycle? Let me tell you another story. 28 years ago, my wife and I were pregnant with our first child and Karis was very pregnant, about nine months pregnant. This happened just a few weeks actually before Catherine was born and we're on vacation with my mom and dad and uh, I thought it would be a great idea to rent a tandem bicycle and take my very pregnant wife for a ride and she uh, protested and she protested but I persisted and I got my wife on that bicycle did I say she was very pregnant yeah she was very pregnant very hot very uncomfortable not having a good time at all and somehow I also got this really dumb idea that it would be fun to jump a curb on a tandem <laughs> bicycle. And so I, because uh, you know, I'm a good bicycle rider, right? Remember that story? Yeah. So I go, I'm a spokesman. I can jump a bicycle. So we go to jump the curb and well, we completely wrecked the bicycle and my pregnant wife fell off the bike and got hurt. And you know, to this very day, to this very day, whenever Catherine does something weird, she blames me for that event. It's like it all happened in utero. You bumped her head. Something happened. The reason why we ride a tandem bicycle is not because you go faster, farther, better, easier, 
The reason why you ride a tandem bicycle is simply because it's a shared experience. That everything happens to those two riders together, good or bad. Whether your lame-brained husband tries to jump a curb or not, it still is the two of you together. Something about that that brings the two of us together. And you know, I look over the last 31 years of marriage, and we've had a lot, you know, I haven't done everything stupid. There's been some good times. We've had some wonderful, wonderful moments together. But really, when you think about it, they all go together, and they make up who we are. The good ones and the bad ones, the dumb ones and the happy ones, they all go together to make up who Karis and I are as a couple. Because like that tandem bicycle, we did it together. It's a shared experience. And I really believe that the church is like a tandem bicycle. God's design is that we do this together. And that 2020, who knows? I mean, maybe there's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be difficult things happening this year. Yeah. But we can do that together. We can get through that together. And I'm sure there's going to be a, a lot of great stuff. I mean, it's going to be so happy. There's going to be so much fun, so much good. And we're going to get through that together too. And at the end of the day, what happens is you and I are, are knit closer together. And we're more one like Jesus has been praying that we would be for a long time now. See that? So friends, let me just repeat. Let us continue. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. God's got big hopes and big dreams for us. Let's go after them together. Huh? Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.